We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. The summer heat has finally arrived. All you have to do is open the front door and walk outside, and you'll know what I mean. And you know, when it's this hot, I think about the national pastime. I recall how much fun and enjoyment I had playing ball as a kid when it was warm outside, uh, playing in youth leagues, in high school, college, and in the pros, and also when I coached college baseball as well. The problem is, and perhaps you can relate to this, the game that I played back in the day doesn't seem to resemble how baseball is played these days. And these dramatic changes in baseball have taken place in a, well, in a relatively very short period of time. And since the upcoming generation of kids who play today are watching big leaguers on TV all the time, I I wonder if the game of baseball is quickly becoming just a game of home runs or strikeouts. Now, if you're a baseball fan, as I am, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, there were two superb columns, one by Buster Olney of ESPN and one by Bill Madden of the Daily News, and they both urged Major League Baseball to change its ways, change your ways soon before things get out of hand. Specifically, Olney was observing that in the last 10 years, the number of, of sacrifice bunts has gone down dramatically each year. Why? Well, we all know why. No one can bunt. And of course, because analytics now insist that bunting is counterproductive. In addition, there are also fewer attempts to steal second or third. The number of stolen bases drop each year. And with fewer base-stealing threats, there are fewer and fewer pitch-outs. And although there are no real stats to prove this, clearly the hit-and-run, which was a, and has been a personal favorite of mine for years, is just pretty much gone from the baseball landscape, as is the squeeze bunt. Now, I'll give an example. Last weekend... I was watching a ball game between the Brooklyn Bonnies and the New Rochelle Robins over at City Park in New Rochelle. And the Bonnies, like the Robins, a legendary semi-pro team has been around for 50, 60 years. But the Bonnies had a man on first who broke on the pitch. The Robins' second baseman raced over for the throw down from the catcher, but the right-handed batter for the Bonnies, well, he, cl- he laced a-, a clean shot to right just where the second baseman had been standing. And just like that... The Bonnies had men on first and third. And I mentioned to my buddy at the game, you know, I can't even remember the last time I saw a hit and run executed in a ball game. And that's because major leaguers don't do that anymore. And in Bill Madden's column, he was bemoaning how strikeouts are now surpassing hits in the course of a major league season, which has never happened before. 
hitters seem to accept that a strikeout is no big deal, so long as you occasionally hit a home run. Now, Madden pointed out this that no one seems to care that batting averages are dropping to all-time lows. I mean, let me ask you this. Isn't media star Bryce Harper of the Nationals supposed to be a surefire Hall of Famer? Well, how does he get in the Hall when he's hitting close to 200 this year? Just because he hits a bunch of home runs, he's a Hall of Famer? He strikes out an awful lot, and yet come the end of this year, he'll get signed for hundreds of millions of dollars after the season is over. And again, I heard the other day that Tim Tebow who was just named to the Eastern League All-Star team, obviously with the AA uh, uh, Binghamton Mets, or the Rumble Ponies, as they call themselves. The Tebow is hitting about 255 this season, and he strikes out every third at bat. But I guess that makes him an All-Star. Anyhow, there's, in baseball today, there's very little running. There's no hitting and running. There are no squeeze plays. There's nothing. What does that add up to, in my estimation? Boring ball. And as Bill Madden points out, attendance at Major League Games this spring is down close to 10%. Yeah, I know that the early spring weather around here was terrible, but a drop of 10%, isn't that alarming to somebody? The legacy? Well, today's kids, your kids, are watching all of this, playing fantasy baseball, and are all assuming that this is how baseball, the national pastime, is supposed to be played. You take three massive hacks and try to hit a homer, or you just strike out. It's no big deal. Well, I'm concerned, and I'm wondering if you are too. Do our kids now believe that this is the way baseball is supposed to be played? I'm going to take your your calls on this uh, this hot topic at one 337 6666 That, of course, is brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. You can plan your stay at mohegansun.com. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about this. We know the game has changed. A lot has to do with the impact of sabermetrics or analytics. But clearly, when you watch a, a typical ball game now, it's different. It's different from it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's just, uh, it does not make for a very exciting afternoon or evening. You know, I often, I often fantasize about going back to college coaching and, and what would I would look for if I were recruiting. I mean, for starters, if I was looking for position players, I'd start with basically foot speed, guys who can make infielders and pitchers nervous just whenever they put the bat on the ball. I look for guys who can hit the ball all fields, spray it around, use, use the entire ballpark. Uh, I'd, spend, I'd tell kids or try to teach them how to bunt, how to slug bunt, how to hit and run. Why? Because these are basic baseball plays that nowadays seem novel. I mean, I just think it's all, it's just going in the wrong direction. And I'm curious to get your thoughts about this. Again, one 337 6666 Let's start our, our conversation on this warm Sunday morning with A.J. over in Princeton. A.J., good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How are you, A.J.? Hey, doing, doing great. Rick, there's, a, there's kind of a standard line I've wanted to use on your show for a long time now, mm-hmm. and it, apl- it applies to a lot of what, Every topic that you have, um, as we've discussed, sports is just so important in my life. And I am so glad that I grew up when I grew up, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. The, days, the days when sports meant that's what we did during the summer. We went out, we were on the ball field, we played, we figured it out, you know, and we did all the fundamentals that you're talking about. We bunked it, we, we, you know, we played games and stuff like that. 
today, with money the way it is, ball players are assets. They're stars. Hall of Famers, you got to be kidding me. You know, guy hits a couple of home runs, he's a Hall of Famer. I, I, I think that's how it works these days, AJ. I, 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 it's, you know, it's odd. It's, but, it, that, but, Rick, I'm sorry. What you're describing right now is, is, is in your past, and I feel your pain. You know, I'm with you all the way, but things have getting way out of hand now. Sabermetrics. Let me give you one quick one here. I mean, I could talk all day about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've wanted to talk to Ed Randall about this, mm-hmm. but you know, one of the first things I ever learned when I was when I was playing little league was what do you do if you're you know on the bases, and what do you do if you're a coach? Well, I knew that if, if I was the the, the runner on first base and I'm going past first base, I should be looking at my third base coach. He's going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. He's going to tell me where things are. I watch the Yankees now like crazy, and they talk about, well, Gary Sanchez thought that the guy was here or thought this was there, and I'm saying to myself, the coach is supposed to tell him what to do. He just runs. Those fundamentals are gone. It's sad. It's really sad watching a game. Well, the thing um, is, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain, my friend. <laughs> AJ, th- thank you as always for for chiming in. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks, AJ. You know, and and the thing is, we know we see a lot more kids come up in the big leagues today at very very tender ages, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, and they have, clearly have great great physical talent, but. Back in my day, the sense was, yeah, but they have great talent. It was like all of a sudden this new generation of players are, are superior in terms of being so much better than guys who played a generation ago because a generation ago, the, the sense was a player had to basically be seasoned to understand the nuances of the game, to know where to throw a ball on, uh, if you're in the outfield on a cutoff, to know how to advance, how to read, as AJ was talking about, how to, re- how to read the, uh, the, the third base coach in terms of making the, uh, going from second to third. This is the essence, the, the, the subtleties of playing baseball at a high level. But when you bring up kids at a very young age, you really can't blame them. They've never really been schooled in this. They didn't have a chance to develop the, those those nuances when they played. But last week, I was you know looking at the Mets bringing up uh, their high highly touted uh, first baseman uh, Dominic Smith, and he's in a bunting situation. And you know he's never bunted before. That's hard to believe that a guy can get to the big leagues and never learn how to bunt. I mean, it just it just to me is mind boggling because usually every day in batting practice. You spend time, at least a few minutes, learning how to bunt, uh, and and I think that's that's what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you, learning how to bunt is a very conscientious way of practicing that you have to learn how to do it psychologically. Most players don't like to bunt because they feel like, uh, oh man, let me swing the bat. I can hit one. I can one in the gap and drive somebody in. No, we're asking you to take one for the team to sacrifice. That's what that word means. Sacrifice your at bat for the betterment of the team. Set up there, get ready to put the ball into play, away from the pitcher, uh, down either the first base, the third base line, but sacrifice. And there's certain ways you have to work to learn how to do that. But again, those skills are gone because whether it's because of the impact of sabermetrics, they're saying, well, bunting isn't really doesn't help much, it's counterproductive. I don't know. Or the kids just don't are too too uh, lazy or, or feel they're too egocentric to want to make that effort to learn how to bunt. I don't know, but it has to really change. And, and clearly, this is not good for baseball because these basic fundamental skills are going by the boards. And I, as I said a few minutes ago, I just don't know if the kids who are watching all this uh, are thinking, well, 
Why? Why? Why should I change? Why should I be the odd, uh, the the odd duck or the outlier who learns how to bunt or learns how to spray the ball to all fields or even remember this choking up on the bat when you have two strikes so you don't strike out? Strikeouts are a big deal. I I, I just don't buy into that. Maybe I'm just being too old school about this, but this is how the game was designed to be played. And just to go to a ballpark and watch you guys uh, take big hacks and strike out and walk back to the bench or guys get an occasional home run, that's not, to me, how the game is supposed to be played. And I do worry about how the impact this will have on the next generation of kids. All right, let me, let me take a timeout. When I return from, uh, from John Minko's update, I want to get into this and, and get your thoughts as well. Maybe I'm off base in this. I just don't know. Maybe it's the, just a natural evolution of the game. I don't know. I'm curious to get your thoughts at one eight seven seven. 337-66-66. And back here on the Sports Edge, we're talking this morning about uh, the evolution or devolution of baseball as we know it and how it's become, it's to my opinion, sort of regressed to a game of strikeouts and home runs which makes for exceedingly boring baseball. It's not the way, in my mind, the game was designed to be played. Uh, the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, when kids are coming up at the youth level, none of them have the strength to hit home runs uh, at that, that age. And even in high school, uh, particularly where they use, uh, you know, wooden bats like they do in the Catholic high school league, if, one, if you get hit one home run a year, that's extraordinary because the ball doesn't ca- travel as far with a wood bat. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just a different kind of game. And, and clearly, there's it a growing disparity between what's played at the big league level and what's played at the amateur level. And, and honestly, I don't sure this is good for, for the national pastime. As I mentioned, the, the attendance is down substantially this year. Uh, and there's, uh, again, maybe we're, we're just uh, going through a phase. I don't know. I know you're going to mention about sabermetrics and analytics. You know, I'm an old school guy, and I will tell you, you know, everybody look points to the, the, the impact of analytics or sabermetrics from, uh, from Moneyball, uh, the great best-selling book by uh, Michael Lewis. But when Billy Bean, you know, remember those key years in Billy Bean with the, the Oakland Athletics and had uh, sabermetrics, the Oakland A's never won a World Series uh, during that tenure. Uh, you know, they had great pitching, Barry Zito and Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder, and the movie talks about all these scrappy hitters that uh, Billy Bean brought in off the, uh, the waiver wire. But the fact is, it was the pitching that propelled the Oakland A's to the postseason, not necessarily the, the, these, the, these hitters that the, they found through laptop scouting. Okay, let's, let's take your calls about all this and the fundamentals of the game that seem to be sort of passing us by. You know, you go to a ball game today, you don't have any infield or outfield drills before the game. You don't, that used to be a, a major part. When I played in the minors, Yes, you took you took infield and outfield every game because nothing else. You you got the rhythm. It showed it, it perfected your skills. It became part of the routine, but not anymore. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go to Tim up in West Point. Tim, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. How yes, are you doing? Sir. I'm well, Tim. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. So I just wanted to make two quick points. Uh, uh, for the most part, I agree with you. I've always felt that. You have to find an equilibrium, if you will, between the numbers and the eye test, you know. And I think, as you said with Moneyball, I think at times Billy Bean was and maybe still is blinded by the numbers. And I think that's largely why the A's never got past or never made it that far into the playoffs, you know, especially against the Yankees right? in uh, the early 2000s. 
And the other point I wanted to make, which is really the same thing, is I remember way back at the beginning of the season, it was the first series, uh, I believe David Robinson was pitching and Josh Donaldson was up. And the decision to be made was that they uh, intentionally walked Josh Donaldson because he had good numbers against David Robinson. Mm -hmm. But um, Josh Donaldson was terrible that whole series, if I remember right. And then Justin Smoke comes up who was great in that series, I'm thinking, what the heck is Boone doing? This is a righty-lefty matchup, and then boom. You know, Smoke hits a big home run, and the Blue Jays win that game. So, to me, that's a time when you have to let your eyes kind of do the thinking for you, you know? Of course. I mean, I this happened the other day with, uh, you know, the keep Sabathia in the game, and, you know, that's a gut call because it's obviously he's gone through a number of innings. He said, well, no, he's pitching great. Leave him in. Common sense. And, and you know, that... That's something you can't put on on paper. It's just that's what managers get paid for to make those those instinctive gut reaction kind of calls. Tim, thanks for that call. Let me move on here to another caller. Let's go to uh, Eric out in uh, Ronkonkoma. Eric, good morning. You're on the fan. How you doing, Rick? Good. How are you, Eric? Good, good. Boy, I tell you, I, I've been talking about this for quite a while. You know, there's the analytics, as you mentioned, it drives me nuts because, you know, it seems like they, they went to these numbers because of the – they wanted to spark interest in the game because of the whole fiasco with the steroids, you know, brought it the other way. So yep. I, mean, I think they came up with the sabermetrics to try to, you know, uh, induce the ex- excitement with the home runs and stuff. But the problem is they never introduced, um, I guess, analytics for the, the hitters on there. I mean, you know, you get a shift in the infield. None of these guys know how to hit the other way. Or well, bunt. If it were me, I'd, be, I'd bunt every single time. Eric, I, nobody seems to be able to explain that to me either. I mean, if, if I'm up to the bat and, and I see three guys shifted over to this one side of the infield, well, my job is to hit. So rather than take big three, you know, big three hacks and try to pull everything and, and basically hit a ball into the shift, why don't you go opposite way and, or put a bunt down? I mean, what's the difference whether you get a hit to to left field or right field, just get on right. base. Isn't that a game supposed to be played? If you keep doing that enough, the shift will stop. They'll stop we'll doing stop, that. Exactly. And, and you know what? It, it, the, the, the idea that bunting is, is silly. You know, you, you throw a bunt up there. Who knows? The, the whoever goes to recover it, maybe he slips. He throws it past right. the first baseman. You know, the guy gains a base. You know, I mean, and who knows? Maybe that's what sparks a three-run rally. I, 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 mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm on the same page with you. I mean, the, the, the sense is, if I understand the readings from Bill James and all the other guys, a strikeout is an out just like a pop-up or a ground-out is an out. Well, my sense is pop-ups sometimes do fall in, or they, the, an infielder will drop it. It's too windy, or they, they lose the ball in the sun. Ground balls do take bad hops, or a guy misplays it. So sure. a strikeout is not the same as putting the ball into play. Even it might be a you know, fly ball, pop-up, ground out. If it's in play, something good could happen, but you got to put the ball into play. So I don't think they equate the same way, and yet it seems like Major League Baseball, the GMs, and the, they all bought into this. I don't understand that. Yeah, well, that, well that, that's, what, that's what I don't understand. It's like the, you know, I, they, they want everything to be uniform on there with the, with the thinking, which to me, you know, when, when you have one form of thinking, you know, you, you're only going to get one result. Yeah, I, it, there, it's, it's, and it, it, it makes it very sanitized, which is not a good thing. Eric, thanks uh, for the you, call. You have yeah, a great weekend. You too. And, and along Eric's point, you know, when you think about, to my way of thinking, I think one of the greatest players of all time was Ichiro. I mean, he, he had five tools. He could certainly hit the ball for power and hit home runs if he wanted to. 
but he knew he had blazing speed. And, and you know, for him to put a bunt down, I mean, and just or hit a chopper to, to short, I mean, that's how he'd outrun the, the, the throw to first base. That's baseball. Or going back and to Rod Carew, another premier bunter. I mean, come on. This is how the game is, was designed to be played. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, to Michael in the Bronx. Hey, Michael. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you, Michael? Good. I had this, like, small theory about the uh, shift in baseball yeah. and the strikeouts. I just feel like we have this shift going on, and I believe, like you do, about the bunts. But I feel like players are constantly trying to lift the ball over either the left side or the right side, depending on which way the shift goes. It's just it's killing the game. Last night during the Yankee game, they were commenting about changing the rules so you can't put a shift on. But yes, players, that's correct. Yes, the players should be able to make an adjustment. I, I don't, Michael. I, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I read the same thing where Commissioner Manfred is saying, well, now he's getting concerned that these defensive shifts are ruining the game of baseball and and diminishing the offense. I'm thinking. You don't have to do that. Just tell the guys to hit the ball opposite way. I mean, that's as simple as that. I mean, come on. You, you could defeat the shift. You know what's crazy, Rick? I looked up some numbers while I was on hold. Yep. Stanton, uh, Giancarlo Stanton has 100 and 108 strikeouts year to date. He's on pace for 243 strikeouts for the year. Yep. Tony Gwynn, over a 20-year career, averaged 21 strikeouts. Yes, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And, and you say, well, come on. No, Tony Gwynn, I mean, one of the greatest pure hitters, but... It's not just Tony Gwynn. You go back and even before Tony Gwynn, a guy like Nellie Fox, a diminutive second baseman for the White Sox, he struck out like four or five times a year. You know, you know, I mean, you know what would be a good statistic to look up? In 1956, when Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown, how many times did he get bunt singles? I'd like to hang up and see if you could dig that number up. <laughs> I'll see if we can research it, but I will tell you this, Michael. Uh, my dad used to tell me that when he broadcast uh, baseball, he told me that people forgot how fast that Mantle was. Uh, of course, he had knee problems as he as he got older. But uh, Mantle, you know, the, the the when he would get up, especially about lefty, he was so fast down the first baseline. He would routinely bunt many times with two strikes. He put a, a drag bunt down, and he'd always get the first base just because the infielders were playing so deep, and he had such great bat control. Uh, I mean, it was just that's how again. If you if you're an offensive player in baseball, you have to find ways in which you can get on base because the way the game is designed, it's the team that scores the most runs which wins the ball game. And in order to get score run, you got to get on base. And and if you're not if you're an average size guy, you know you or and you have good speed, you got to take advantage of your God given gifts in order to get on base. Simple as that. Let's go to uh, let's go to uh, Tom up in Connecticut. Tom, good morning. You're on the fan. Oh, hi, Rick. Hi, Tom. Uh, it's, uh, I wanted to bring up, you know, I was listening to you about uh, analytics. Yeah. And uh, my son is a junior in high school, and last year he was the starting first ba- uh, third baseman on his high school team. Mm-hmm. Problem was, he doesn't go to the local uh, workout facility and work out with the team, and his exit velocity has been, been tracked, and it's low. And his, uh, he doesn't pay he pitches, but he pitches only in the you know, mid-70s, and they actually cut him from the team. Uh, because uh, of that reason, that he's not big enough, he's not strong enough, but he's a very good baseball player. So I just wanted to, to relate that to how it relates to the major leagues, because if they're starting this in youth sports, you know, well, where are these Tom, let me get this right. You, you, said, you said your son's a good ball player, and he's a junior in high school, and, and, and the high school coach basically looked at his numbers on exit velocity and that kind yep. of stuff to make a determination yeah, that, that at the facility that, that they're all uh, associated with. So if you don't pay the money for the facility when you're eight or nine years old and get in their program, 
the coach looks at you and says, well, we don't really need you. You're not paying us money in the summer and the, the summer and the winter, and we don't really need you. So you're well, I, I think that's a little bit um, wrong, quite frankly. I mean, that if, if, the, if the high school coach is basically telling the players that, you know, if you want to be on the, my team, you're going to have to go and basically pay a fee uh, during the course of the offseason or in the fall. Yes. I mean, that, that, that should be reported to the high school athletic director. That's one of the few times where I think that has to be investigated because that's yeah, sort because of... The, well, the assistant coaches run a local facility, and they do winter training and fall training, and my son also plays basketball on the team. Yeah. So he can't go to those workouts, and they, they really hold oh, that against I, him. I, I think that. That, that, that's harmful, and I think that should be brought to the attention of the athletic director saying, look, uh, you yeah. know, my kid happens to be a good athlete, and he's being penalized because he's playing basketball in addition to baseball. And now the high school coach is saying, well, we're looking at your numbers here, or you're not going to the uh, off-season facility where you have to pay for it. Um, that's, that, that, has, that has to be stopped, simple as that. Yeah, when he was uh, cut, he asked why, and the coach said to him, basically, you're not going to the workouts with us, and you're not in the weight room enough. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, uh, gee whiz. I mean, I... I mean, this we know we've talked a lot about the 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 problem with specialization in high school sports, but um, that that has to be at least discussed uh, so that the, the youngster can make a decision if he wants to stay with basketball or baseball, or he can do both. And his understanding with the, the varsity coaches that the kid's a good enough athlete to play different sports, and and that's you just can't sell a kid. Well, you didn't come to the to the practices in the off season, so goodbye, or your exit velocity is right. No, that that doesn't make any sense. I, I don't think yeah. that's. It was very disheartening to, to find it, it being so about the money and about uh, how, you know, if you, if you don't have these numbers that they really don't don't think. And now they've got kids throwing 89 miles an hour, can't throw a strike. they got guys with exit velocities in the hundreds. They can't hit the ball. Uh, yeah, and, and Tom, I'm glad you brought that up as well because when you deal just with raw power, like, oh, the kid can throw a ball through a, a, a brick wall. Yeah, but he, that's not pitching. That's just throwing. Right. A guy hit a ball. Uh, he hit a ball in batting practice over the fence, and the guy's lobbing him in. That's yeah. great. But now let's try it with a little more velocity and a little more change of speed and curveballs. It's not the same thing. So you can't you can't just peg it just on physical strength or physical size. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, he plays also in the summer on his uh, AAU team, and yep. he's like the second pitcher. He's a starting uh, second baseman, and he can't even play high school next year. So they're not going to take him next year if they cut him as a junior. What does he do? I, 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 this is something where, and again, I'm very reluctant for parents to, to go and talk to the athletic director, but this is not about playing time or about uh, no. meddling. It's just like, I need, we need some direction here from uh, the, the school athletic department about what is the position about kids who play different sports and then all of a sudden being cut because they didn't go to an off-season training facility. That, that right. has to be paid for. That's something that, that I think a lot of parents... Uh, worry about, but are afraid to say anything because they feel there's going to be retribution if they talk to uh, talk to an athletic director. But that that's something that has to be addressed because it is a exactly. common. Exactly, and you know, the other thing is, you know, when you go talk to the AD, I've got a younger daughter that's going to come up and play through that school, and you know, you know, people know people, people talk. It, it yeah, should be I, bad for her. I I think that's where an AD should be aware of this. And as I said, I, I've heard this complaint before, and uh-huh. uh, it, it's something that needs to be talked about. Uh, as you said, in a polite and civil manner, but you want some answers because it's affecting the kid and, and, and what they want to do with their sports. Right. Tom, good luck. Well, i got to take a break. Thanks again. Thanks for taking my call, Rick. You bet, Tom. Good luck. 
All right, let me uh, let me take a pause, and when I come back after Mink's update, we'll continue to talk about this issue about how baseball is changing, and in my opinion, not for the better, and how it affects our kids. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. And don't forget, at uh, 9 o'clock this morning, our baseball discussion will continue with Ed Randall, who will, of course, be here, and he'll be talking baseball with you. Uh, don't forget to check out my website and blog at AskCoachWolf.com. And uh, speaking of, of baseball, just a, a sort of a curious note, I, I'd like to point out with uh, true uh, alumni pride that Harvard University now has not one but two former Crimson players playing in the big leagues. Uh, by, by all accounts, that's pretty impressive. Tanner Anderson, a right-handed pitcher, was just called up this week by the Pirates. And Brent Suter, another pitcher, pay, uh, pitches for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's pretty cool. Uh, and especially when you realize that the Harvard baseball team hasn't had a winning record since 2005. So, anyhow, it's, I think it's pretty pretty impressive to have two alums uh, in the show. All right, let's get back to our topic. We're talking about about uh, what do you do if you're a youth or a high school or travel team coach? How do you teach kids today how to play the game of baseball? one 337 6666 We're joined by now by our friend Steve Callis. Uh, Steve, good morning. I know you must have views about this situation for sure. Good morning, Rick. You're giving me a headache. This is like a three-hour show, but I'll keep it it short from my end. A couple of things. You know, I remember when all these analytics came out, better to not bunt, better to swing away, more chances to score a run. 10,000 bunts will show you that. They never talk about this bunt, though, where, you know, the third baseman hurt his ankle last inning or the righty pitcher falls over 10 feet to his left going Mm -hmm. towards first base. Right. But... I have noticed this over the last few years, and I wonder if they update these stats every year, because nowadays, you're right, very few people can bunt, but it's also the opposite side. Very few people can make the simple, what used to be the simple defensive play, and I watch ESPN all the time to watch these games being covered, or the MLB network, and it seems two or three times a week, there's a wild throw on the sacrifice bunt that winds up winning a game, not just moving a runner over, but winning a game. And the other thing I wanted to say is, many years ago, I wrote, I'm a big proponent of the bunt, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my old man was a minor league catcher in the Yankee organization for a couple of years before World War II. He used to put his catcher's mitt maybe 15, 18 feet down the third baseline. And before, when I was 9, 10, 11, and 12, before we'd leave the field, I'd have to hit the glove three times in a row. That's 30 bunts, Rick. So that's how you learn how to bunt, in my opinion. But I wrote an article many years ago when all this started, and I went back to the 1955 World Series, which I know you're familiar with, Johnny Padres, Game sure. 7. Right. Everyone forgets that Gil Hodges drove in both runs in the 2 nothing victory. The Dodgers finally beat the Yankees. But in that game, to score the second run, there was a man on first, and back-to-back, Duke Snyder and Roy Campanella, <laughs> both power hitters in the middle of the Dodgers lineup, they bunted. The first one was thrown away, so it was first and second. 
And then I think it was Campanella who was next. He bunted. It became second and third. Then Hodges hit a long sacrifice fly to score the second run and obviously was a gigantic run at the time in a 2 nothing victory in Game 7 of the World Series. I got killed online because guys were saying, oh, you have to go back to 1955 to find a good example. And, of course, I wrote back, what, are you kidding me? I went back to 1955 because it was Game 7 of the World Series and Roy Campanella and Duke Snyder are in the Hall of Fame as power hitters. Well, yeah, just I'm thinking, well, suppose Snyder and Campanella had just hit for home runs. You know, they would have won by five or six runs instead. Yeah, I don't think their launch angle was high enough. <laughs> hey, Steve, thanks as always for the call. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. You know, you know, Steve is right. I mean, if you baseball is a game of history and, and precedent, and yeah, I mean, he's a perfect example of two of the great all-time Hall of Fame sluggers knew how to bunt. Again, going back to the mid '50s, but it was the Game Seven of the World Series. That's how game baseball is played, full of surprises and, of course, of skills. Let's go on. Let's go to um, let's go to Gary in Clearwater, Florida. Gary, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. How you doing? Good, Gary. How are you? Um, well, thanks. You know, I I, um, I watch everything that's going on now, and uh, I remember back in the day, your leadoff hitter was your fastest guy. Yes, absolutely. Um, he did everything to get on base. Yep. Um, your number two guy, um, he may have been a little bit of a lighter hitter, but he was the guy that, that moved the runner over. And then you had your, you know, your three and four guy to, to drive him in, and, and you could win a one-run game um, by doing just that. Number nine hitter was your weakest hitter in the lineup. So, mm-hmm. you know, you look at it and it's all changed so much. I don't think for the better either. Um, all the fundamentals have, have really gone out the window. Uh, Gary, uh, I, I got to tell you, and, um, you know, again, that's old school. I happen to have been a product of the old school, but it worked for us back in the day. I don't know. And I know there, there's, there are reams and reams of, of data and, and, and printouts that so say, oh, no, it's totally wrong, and so on and so forth. And Gary, thank you for the call this morning. The, the fact is, it's just common sense. If you have a kid who can really fly and he bats lefty and can bunt, of course you're going to have him lead off because, after all, if he gets to first base, everything changes. Now the pitcher is looking at the guy on first base. He's getting a pretty good-sized lead. The pitcher is trying to focus on the batter, but he's worried about the kid on first base trying to steal for second. The infielders are all nervous because they know the guy on first can really fly uh, and you know puts pressure on them to, cho- to sort of cheat in at, at the defensive positions. This is how the game is played. There's a psychological underpinning to all this that, as Steve Callis was saying, doesn't really show up uh, in, in sabermetric thinking because guys, people of all players are human and they're susceptible to to human frailties and problems like this, and and that's the pressure of, of playing the game, the so-called un, untalked about mental side of how trying to defense against other batters who have skills and abilities that you're not necessarily prepared for. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jack up in Maine. Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick, how are you? Jack, I am well. Thank you for chiming in this morning. Yeah, well, it was tough, but I got through. That a boy. Listen, I'm not going to be long because all the topics that, that I believe in, you've already hit on. Yeah. You, you and I think a lot alike. So two things, real quick. When you're talking about bunting, putting the ball in play, pitchers can't even bunt today. They had one job, especially, especially when the American League was not a designated hitter. The pitchers needed to put and move runners uh you know, to the next base, move them forward. They can't even do that today. I mean, they, they, they miss. But the two statistics that I wanted to give you is that in the book of, I believe it was your mentor's book, The Mental Game of Baseball, they did a statistic 
that they that they showed about high school athletics in baseball mm-hmm. at the varsity level. Fifty nine balls, fifty nine percent of the balls that are put in play on the ground, the runner gets on base. Seventy nine percent of the balls that are hit in the air are outs. All right. I always tell my hitters, listen, put the ball in play and run, okay, and get on base. The, the, the idea is to put the ball in play and make things happen. Absolutely. When you put the ball, when you put the ball in the air, 15% of the time something will happen. 85% of the time at the major league level you're out, unless you can hit it over the fence. Yep. And talking about the bunting, we talked about this. I mentioned this to you yesterday, that when my son was playing, and he played in the Can-Am League, led the league in hitting. He had a, he led the league with 142 hits in a 90-season game, all right? A 90-game season, season. He had 37 bunt singles that year. 37, because he could hit and run. I put him, you know, he was, he was a 6-2-60 runner. And that's an 8 on the chart of 2-8 uh, to eight in that major league scale. So, right. you know what? You are on the right track. You want to do it the right way. I've been that way. I've taught my son to put the ball and play and run. Home runs, listen, they're great to watch. They're great to win games. But they don't win games more than what sacrificing, moving runners, hitting the opposite way, all of that thing. With the, well, you talked about the shift before. What about moving away from the plate a little bit so you have a little bit more weight on the ball and put the opposite? <laughs> Jack, way? this is this is this is what it's all about. And and and, and as always, thank you for for calling You're in. You're more than welcome, Rick. Thanks, Talk Jack. You, you bet. And and Jack is right. You know this game has has changed. I mean. If you're trying to win at the amateur level, or high school, travel team, college, yeah, you got to take advantage of, of the skills your players bring. And, and if it means hitting the ball on the ground, slapping around, bunting, bunting for hits, hit and run, that's how you have to win. At the elite major league level, it's a little different, but even there, the fundamentals are what matter. All right, let me take a pause. When I return, we'll go back to your calls. Stay with me. Well, I just have a minute left, and I, I just want to do a quick recap on this. And I'm sorry, I wish I could get to more of the calls, because obviously this is a topic uh, that we'll, we'll have to return to over the course of the summer, because it is essential. And as I said, you know, the game has just changed so dramatically, the game of baseball, and, and it's, it seems to be getting away from the basics of how to play the sport. Uh, when you're growing up and you're learning the game, uh, you know, it, it, we all know and agree that the baseball is the most difficult sport to play because you have to do so many things well in order to succeed. And even if you do it well, you're going to fail most of the time. So it's, it's a very, very um, difficult kind of sport to, to master. But that being said, you're only going to serve yourself well uh, if you take advantage of what your God-given skills are. If you can run if you can field, if you can put the ball on the play, if you can choke up and not strike out, if you put the ball on the play, you have a much better chance of having good things happen to you than just swinging for the fences all the time where you're basically going to strike out most of the time. And that doesn't really work. Uh, it's something that, that, again, youth coaches and high school coaches have to really spend attention on, you know, learning, teaching kids how to bunt. It's a very simple skill, but you got to teach it and you got to practice it and practice it seriously if you want to get good at it. Uh, it's all part of the way you learn how to m- master the fundamentals of the national pastime. Okay, that's going to do it for me today. My thanks this morning to Connor Green. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next. I need to see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.